With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Greetings. Welcome to the Fiesta of Tabernacles. This very special first day of the Fiesta all across the world. This is Pastor Tim of I Saw the Light Ministries. Let's sing a few songs. And as we sing these songs, let's think about Jesus, how we need him, worship him, and praise his holy name. This is page number one in the traditional song worship folder, Glory to His Name. Glory to your Lord. Glory to 
different, that we would go back with a even greater relationship with you, a greater reverence, a greater love, and that we will obey your commandments without compromise, regardless of any circumstance, regardless of anything, that we have cut your first and seek your kingdom first above all else, because everything else is as grass, here today and gone tomorrow, burned in the oven. So the only thing that will remain is your kingdom and those who have remained committed unto you and put you first. So we pray that we'll pass the test and be found worthy to enter in. We praise your holy name. This service, Father, is for your people, but it is also for you to worship you, to honor you, to love you. So we pray, Father, that you be glorified today, tomorrow, and in every day of this fiesta and for the rest of our lives without end. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Praise Jesus. Well, we are outside here today, worshiping the Lord and thinking about our brothers and sisters across the world. AJ said he had a long drive and uh, to get to his campsite, and uh, traffic was heavy because there are um, holidays of uh, Korea at around the same time as well. Uh, so uh, increased camping, increased traffic, so forth. And um, I know that Sister Kiki said that it was raining when she cut up her tent and windy and stuff like that. She had a lot of rain last year, too, for the fiesta. So we pray that it would dry up and warm up both in Korea and in Australia. And it's beautiful here, hot and beautiful, and a little bit of a breeze, dry. Uh, there's a new tropical storm down in the Gulf of Mexico, and we have to see where that goes and how strong it'll be about whether it's going to hit Florida and Alabama, Mississippi, and what happens with that. And pray that the rain doesn't come up through here. Uh, later uh, next week, so forth. Hopefully it can remain dry overall for us. We're going to start, I believe, in Exodus 16. Exodus 16, and we're reading from the Alpha and Omega Bible, but anybody can try to follow along in New American Standard or King James. And if you don't have an Alpha Omega Bible, it would be easier to follow along in the New American Standard it's closer to what we're reading, uh, but you're also welcome to follow along in any translation you may have there. For the record, today's date is October 5th, 
2017, the year of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in God's calendar, it is the 15th day of the seventh month. 15th day of the seventh month. Exodus 16. what we're talking about today is going from temporary to eternal, from temporary to eternal. This is one of the main themes of the Fiesta of Tabernacles. All of the holy days have such multiple meanings that they're full of significance, full of symbolism and lessons that we can learn. And one of the lessons of the Fiesta of Tabernacles is going from temporary to eternal. Because the word tabernacle sometimes is translated as tents or boots. And it is talking about a temporary abode. A temporary abode. Whether it might be a house of straw, a house of wood, a house of brick, and you may think you look at a house of brick or stone and and say that's not temporary, but it really is. Tornado, hurricane, flood, earthquake, or the coming of God's kingdom can wipe out the largest and strongest buildings and cities and towns and kingdoms. Amen. So we go into tents. These days, these eight days of the fiesta, to help us to remember and reflect upon that our homes where we live, our buildings, are only temporary, not sufficient for protection. You may feel safe when the wind blows, but wind all by itself can break brick. And not only our houses, but our fleshly bodies, that these are tabernacles, the Bible says, that these are tents and tabernacles that we live in, that our fleshly bodies are fragile, and our bodies is not who we are. Rather, you have pretty hair or long hair or short hair, big feet, little feet, blue eyes, brown eyes, tall, short, black, white, any race, tongue, what you see is not what you get. We are spiritual creatures. We are spirits. And we are living in tent. And this tent is fragile. 
it can get more easily tossed in the wind, damaged, and so forth. But a lot of people are so focused on this tent of our fragile body. Too many people are way too focused on this body in different aspects, both on the left and on the right. Uh, On the left, people wearing uh, makeup and all kinds of uh, too much jewelry and expensive jewelry and spending too much money on rings and too much money on necklaces and makeup and lipstick and pink toenails and all this vanity, vanity, vanity. And fancy mansions and single people living in mansions that have multiple bedrooms and all this vanity. Fancy cars, multiple TV sets, multiple computers beyond what they really need, luxuries, and got to have the best and got to have the most, got to be pursuing all that they can get. And it's all vanity. Here's a day gone tomorrow. We are a very vain generation. And if there was ever a generation where vanity was of the greatest magnitude, I would say it would be today. And putting too much emphasis on carnal things and focusing on carnal things. And there's there's so many examples. Sports and uh, so many different things. Let's go in Exodus 16 now, starting in verse 22. Exodus 16, verse 22. And it came to pass on the sixth day that they gathered double what was needed. Now, the context of this is uh, the beginning of their 40 years in the wilderness. They had crossed the Red Sea and they didn't, did not believe that Jesus was going to provide them food. They wanted it right then, right there, and they did not believe in God. They had saw the manifestation of God in the pillar of fire by night, the pillar of cloud by day, and they had saw the, the splitting of the Red Sea, and uh, probably a million people or more crossed it in one night. They had saw deliverance from Egypt, from slavery, from bondage. But they did not trust God for such a simple thing as food. Not so simple. Did not believe God, his love, his faithfulness, his power, his ability. And that is a microwave society, my friends. They may not have had electricity, but they was a microwave society right here, right now. And you know we're going to be tested in the future. We'll be tested in the future. How long can you forbear? How long can you wait on God? 
Amen. Mm-hmm. One day passed. Two days passed. Three days passed. Would you, after three days, or even two days, start to wonder, is God going to provide? Or will you have the mentality, he's going to provide, it's just I must be patient and wait. It will come. It will come. Will you be in too much of a hurry and lose your faith and test God and tempt God and doubt God? We should think about this right now before we face face that situation. Make sure we're ready to pass that test. Now, it says here on the sixth day, that's talking about the sixth day of the week, what we call Friday in the Roman Catholic calendar. On that sixth day, they gathered double what was needed for their food of manna in the wilderness. God had already sent manna. It was sweet. It was good. It was nourishing. And they didn't have to hunt it. It just appeared every morning, every day, the food was there. But they did have to go out and pick it up off the ground. And that's all they had to do is pick it up off the ground, perhaps cook it, whatever, or eat it raw, whatever was done. But they didn't have to hunt for it. It was there every morning. And on Friday, they picked twice as much of it so they would have what they would need the seventh day because they were already instructed that when the seventh day comes, do not go out. Don't because it won't be there. They were instructed in advance, even as we are instructed in advance. It should be no surprise what we're going to do. It should be no surprise that God is going to provide enough just before that seventh day. Amen. Mm-hmm. And that he's faithful to do so. Yes. But we have to go pick it up. Amen. We've got to be willing to pick it up and to trust that what he gives us in that last moment will be sufficient. Yes. We may look upon it and say, this is not enough. I need more. But we need to trust that what he gives us at the last moment, on the last day, at the last week, at the last month, it's going to be sufficient. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. So on that sixth day, they gathered, gathered double what was needed. Two homers for one man. A homer is a measurement, an agent measurement. It really doesn't matter whether it was a cup or a gallon, but it was a measurement. Two homers for one man. And all the chiefs of the congregation went in, meaning leaders, rulers of the congregation, went in and reported it to Moses. And Moses said to them, Is not this the word which Jesus spoke, that tomorrow is the rest, a holy rest to Jesus? Talking about the rest day of the seventh day. Bake what you will bake, talking about today on Friday, bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over lay up for you for tomorrow. So there was 
to prepare their bread, prepare their food ahead of time for that next day's meal. Verse 24, and they left of it to the morning, meaning they left some for that next day, as Moses commanded them. And it did not stink. It stunk not. Neither was there a worm in it. Now, they didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have freezers. But they had food, even cooked food, baked food, and no insects was in it the next day. And they was in the wilderness, desert of Egypt, desert of Saudi Arabia, so forth. Verse 25, and Moses said, eat that today, for today is a rest to Jesus. It should not be found in the field on the seventh day. Verse 26, six days you should gather it, and on the seventh day is a rest, for there shall be none on that day out in the field. 27, it came to pass on the seventh day that some of the people went forth to gather and found none. Now, they was told there would be none. And to gather twice on Friday. They went out there expecting to find something, even though it was already prophesied. There would be none on that seventh day. They didn't believe God. They didn't believe that the prophecy would be fulfilled. It was the word of God. And they did not believe it. They went out to work, to gather on that seventh day. Now, you got to understand also, though, that in Old Covenant days, in those Old Testament times, there was additional law. There was more law than what there is now. We have law. We have the seventh day. We have the holy days now. But back then, you couldn't even gather sticks for a campfire on the seventh day or holy day. But we can now. Because now we are under more grace, more mercy, more allowance. We still got to keep these days. We still got to rest. We still need to prepare the head the day ahead. We still need to go to the store the day before and gather twice as much. But there's nothing wrong now under the new covenant of gathering just enough stick on the seventh day for that campfire because how how else are you going to cook? Especially in the wilderness, especially in the desert, especially in the woods, especially if you're at a primitive campsite in the future or primitive woods in the future and you don't have that microwave anymore and you don't have the crock pot or the camp stove and you're out of propane, what are you going to do? You're going to need to gather just enough sticks on the seventh day, or else gather twice as much the day before, which is what we need to try to do. But what if you had not gotten around to it for some reason or another? What if you had tried and you made an effort, but you still did not get enough stick 
you still did not get enough wood to keep yourself and your family fed and warmed. Does God expect you to get frostbite just because you're keeping the seventh day or the holy day? Does God expect you to freeze to death or freeze your wife to dead or death or to freeze your children to death or let them go hungry? No. We try to prepare ahead of time. What we need to do is what we need to improve on. But if it comes that day and we're hungry or cold, do something about it. The Sabbath and the holy days are not meant to be days of punishment or fasting or salvation or dying, but rather they're supposed to be days of celebration and feasting and enjoying to do what you need to do. But try to abstain from work as much as possible and try to prepare ahead of time. And definitely don't earn a dollar on the seventh day and holy day. And then we go to verse 28. And Jesus said to Moses, How long are you unwilling to hearken unto my commands and my law? Hearken means listen and obey. You're listening. You're paying attention and you're following through with what he said. That is to hearken, to listen and obey. So how long... Jesus said to Moses, how long are you, talking about the people, unwilling to listen and obey to my commands and to my law? Now, this was before Mount Sinai, before the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant had not yet been established. It had not been signed. It had not been agreed to. This is before they got to the mountain of Mount Sinai. And yet people would tell you it's a Mount Sinai, an old covenant thing. But it existed before then, so those people don't know what they're talking about. Amen. Mm -hmm. So now let's go to chapter 17, verse 1. They went on from that place, went to another place in chapter 17, 17 verse 1. And all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the wilderness of sin. That is just the name of the place. And it doesn't mean lawlessness in this particular situation, but it's the name of a village or whatever, a location in the desert. And they departed from that wilderness according to their encampments, according to their communities that had 12 tribes. And so this is saying that they were marching or traveling in groups, uh, caravans, like a car behind a car, except that was a donkey behind a donkey or a camel behind a camel or whatever, and in their groups by the word of Jesus, according to how they were supposed to go. And they encamped in this other place, Rapidin, or whatever it is pronounced, and there was no water for the people to drink. Now, again, how long would it take before they started to believe that God is not faithful? Verse 2, and the people reviled Moses. 
disavowed means to speak against, to speak harshly, to speak against, to, to speak out of line, to speak without respect, without honor. And so they reviled Moses, meaning speaking to him in a harsh way, out of, out, not out of respect, not out of honor, but out of disrespect. They reviled Moses, saying, give us water. Now, they, they didn't say please, <laughs> and they didn't ask. They commanded, give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, why do you revile me, or why do you speak against me, or contend with me, or speak against me in this way? And why tempt you Jesus? Now, I'm going to uh, update the Alpha and Omega Bible in this verse, and I'm going to change the word tempt there to challenge. Why do you challenge Jesus? They wasn't tempting him to sin, but they were challenging him. When I looked up the Greek word there, it means to challenge, to see if he is able, to to provoke him in a manner to see, are you even able to do this? And prove it to us. Prove it to us. I challenge you to do this. Very, very, very disrespectful. Amen. Why do you challenge you, Jesus? Now, you can keep that word revile there if that word uh, is very understandable to you. Uh, but another alternative translation that means the same thing, if you want to put right above it about reviling me, is contend again. Why do you uh, contend against me? Verse 3, and the people thirsted there for water. Now, they would not have thirsted as long if they had, if they had had respect, belief, trust, honor, they would not have thirsted as long. They may have thirsted, but not as long. Now, the people thirsted there for water, and there the people murmured against Moses. Murmured, meaning complain and speaking against, against Moses, saying, why is this? Have you, it should say have instead of have, have you brought us up out of Egypt to slay us, to kill us, to murder us, and our children, and our cattle with thirst. And Moses cried, in verse 4, Moses cried to Jesus. And the word cried there doesn't mean actually crying, but kind of hollering, kind of a little bit screaming, kind of a pleading, you know, really pleading more than anything. You could translate it as pleading would be a really good translation. And that he pleaded or cried out to Jesus saying, what shall I do to this people? Moses says to Jesus, you know, what am I going to do with these people? Yet a little while and they will stone me. Verse 5, and Jesus said to Moses, go before this people and take to yourself to the elders of the people Take yourself of the elders of the people and the staff 
with which that you smote the river or the, the Red Sea and take in your hand and you shall go. Behold, I stand there before you, come on the rock in Haram, uh, which is the same as Mount Sinai, ain't it? I'm pretty sure. Or is it different? It's different. Okay, it's not Mount Sinai, it's different. All right? I didn't think it made sense with the Mount Sinai. So I'm going to come before you, I'm going to stand, I'll be there on that rock even before you get there. And you shall smite the rock, or hit the rock with the staff, and water shall come out of it, and the people shall drink. And Moses did so before or in the presence of the sons of Israel. Verse 7, and he called the name of that place Erasmus, meaning temptation or challenge. And I'm going to updated to say, meaning challenge and contending or reviling because of the contending or reviling of the children of Israel and because they challenged Jesus, saying, is Jesus among us or not? And they they did it in in a disrespectful part disrespectful mind, unbelieving mind that God had forsaken them. He had made, had brought them out of Egypt, but where is he now? <clears throat> so it's a matter of attitude. And we need a heart of gratitude, a heart of faithfulness. We need faithfulness, meaning that you know God is real. He's true. You've seen him work before. He's going to work again. You've seen him move before. You're going to see him move again. He's faithful. He's always faithful. Have a a mind and a heart and a life of faithfulness. Having faith. Knowing that it's going to be okay if we obey. But it's not going to be okay if we don't obey. And now let's go to a different uh, situation. Uh, The book of Genesis 25. Genesis 25. And learn about Esau. Genesis 25, verse 19. Now, that was, uh, before I start reading here, I will explain that uh, that was these two brothers, Jacob and Esau, that were twins. And even before they were born, they were wrestling, fighting one another in the womb of their mother. But it was ordained. It was supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. It was what, how God had made them, even before the foundations of the world. 
of what was supposed to occur. That these brothers were to be enemies even before they were born. That was God's will. That's how God had created them for his purpose so that we would have today this testimony that we would learn from these events. And so in verse 19, these men have grown up. They've been fighting their whole lives and competing with one another their whole lives. In Genesis 25, verse 19, and these are the generations of Isaac, the sons of Abraham. And Abraham, mine right, 25, 19. Yep, okay. Verse 20, Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac was four years old when he took to the woman Rebekah, daughter of uh, Bathia, the Syrian, out of Syria, Macedonia, and sister of Laban, the Syrian. And 21, Isaac prayed to the Lord concerning Rebekah, his woman, because she was barren. And the Lord heard him, and his woman Rebekah conceived in her womb. And the children leaped within her, and she said, If it will be so with me, why is this to me? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, There are two nations in your womb. These are what I was talking about here. They're not grown up yet. These are two nations, the two men, these two nations in your womb, and two peoples shall be separated from your belly, and one people shall excel the other, and the elder shall serve the younger. And the days were fulfilled that she should be delivered, and she had twins in her womb. And the firstborn son came forth red-skinned all over like a hairy garment and probably red hair, but he was hairy when he was born. And they named him Esau, which means hairy. Now, he was also red, red skin or red hair, something red about him, but they didn't name him after the red part yet, just the hairy part. And verse 26, and after this came forth his brother, and his brother, his hand took hold of the heel, the foot of Esau. And she called, the mother called his name Jacob, and Isaac was 16 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. And these lads, these young men, grew. And Esau was a man skilled in hunting. This is the red man, the hairy man, skilled in hunting, dwelling in the field like a wild beast, and Jacob, a simple man, dwelling in a tent. And Isaac loved Esau. Their dad loved Esau the red hairy man, because his, because of his wild game was his food. So he was a hunter. He was all into hunting. And their dad, Isaac, was like, I love you, son, because you bring me steak, because you bring me meat. Amen. He loved his meat, and so he loved his boy that was a hunter. And Isaac loved Esau because his wild game was his food. And Rebecca, the mom, loved Jacob more. 
a lot of parents have their favorites, and the mother loves Jacob more, or favors Jacob. Verse 29, and Jacob cooked stew. It says pottage, which is a, a very acceptable translation, but a lot of people don't know what pottage is. So I'm going to update that to say stew. Now, you can keep pottage there, or you can cross it out, but stew is the same thing. See, what people don't understand, especially King James-only people, what people don't understand, like I've said many times, is that these words in Greek and Hebrew and Syrian languages and Assyrian languages, these words can be translated many different ways. Hey, you can translate this as soup or stew or pottage or whatever. It's the same thing. It means the same thing. It's just a different word. It doesn't change it. So we're not twisting the word of God. We're not doing any such thing. The King James people, King James only people, says you're twisting words and twisting things. And they don't know what they're talking about when they say that. Now, you would be twisting it if you say uh, he cooked lasagna. That would be twisting it because it doesn't mean lasagna or he cooks eggs. Well, you know, it doesn't mean those things, but it's, it's stew or it's soup or pottage, the same thing, regardless of which word that you choose to translate it as. All right, so Jacob cooked a stew or a soup. And Esau came from the field, from the plain, fainting, weak. And Esau said to Jacob, let me taste that red stew because I'm fainting. Therefore, his name was called Edom, meaning red. Now, he wasn't called red because of his hair color or skin color, but rather because he wanted that red suit. And Jacob said to Esau, tell me this day your birthright. Jacob is the one that had cooked it. And his brother is like starved to death and weak and think he's going to die of starvation. He says, feed me this, give me this. Jacob is like conniving, clever, knows how to get what he wants. He says to his brother, I'll feed you if you sell me your birthright. Because only one man at a time would have the birthright. Esau had it. And Esau's birthright meant that the blessings and inheritance and the power and the authority would all go to him when his father died. Jacob wanted that instead. But it wasn't just being selfish or conniving. It was also the will of God. God had put into Jacob to want the birthright. It is what God had ordained for him to want. And so, and God even put these words in his mouth and in his heart and in his mind to get it in this way. It was what was supposed to happen. 
tell me your day, your birthright. And Esau said in verse 32, Esau said, Behold, I'm going to die, and for what good does this birthright belong to me? What good? I'm hungry right here right now. It's microwave thinking, microwave society. I want the food right here right now. I don't care what happens 10 years from now when Dad dies or 20 years from now when Dad dies. I take care of that when it happens. But right now, I will sell my stove. Right now, I will sell my future. That's what people do. They still have this mentality. Amen. People do this when they get into being a movie star, getting into a lot of the bands to become famous, wrestling. This happens, I know for a fact it happens in wrestling. I know for a fact it happens in the music industry, like with Madonna, Michael Jackson, Elvis Presley, a lot of others, that people sell their soul to the devil. They sell their birthright. They sell their joy in order to get what they want, power, fame, food, whatever, what they want regardless of what it takes to get it. And so in verse 33, Jacob said to him, Swear to me this day, and he swore to him, meaning I'll turn my birthright to you. And Esau sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave bread to Esau and stew of lentils mm-hmm. and he ate and he drank and he rose and he departed so Esau despised his birthright he threw it away he trampled it underfoot now he didn't hate his birthright it's not what the word despise means in this context but rather disrespected it and threw it away trampled it, trampled it underfoot so that's what the word despise would mean in this context Now let's go to the New Testament volume in Matthew 6. Now while you're turning to Matthew 6, Let's think of what happened with Jacob and Esau in the context of temporary, going from temporary to eternal, and temporary versus eternal. That that too was temporary gratification. Temporary gratification. Not you sit is where we're going. and But Esau wanted temporary gratification versus eternal satisfaction. And that is also what happens with homosexuality, adultery, 
and many, many sins. Not paying tithe, not paying first tithe, second tithe, that people think they have to have the materials, the food, the rent, the electric, whatever. Got to have these things for today, these things for this month, rather than thinking about what's going to happen four years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 100 years from now. They don't think about their birthright, their salvation. What's more important to us now in this generation is today, tonight, this month, this electric bill, this house, these carnal, temporary things. We've got to think more often, is this choice that I'm facing and what I'm deciding, what I'm choosing, is this temporary gratification or eternal satisfaction? Am I choosing the temporary over the eternal? Am I choosing what, what I want, what I think I need, right now, this day, this month, or am I choosing what's going to be the best for me years from now when I face Jesus? And we need to make that our choice and our decision and our way of thinking in every decision. And with our giving our tithes and, and saving up for the feast, going to the feast and keeping the feast days, keeping the holy days, keeping the seventh day, keeping the commandments of God, are we doing what we think we need to do for this month and this year or for what I need to do when I face Jesus? So, Matthew 6 now. Verse 19 is where we're going to start at. Matthew 6, verse 19 do not, these are the words of Jesus, and he says, do not store up for yourself or heap up for yourself or save up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So that moth would be like mode or mildew or Anything like that, rust and thieves and whatever else that could happen to the material things that we save up. Now, this ain't talking about preparing for the wilderness. This, this, this does not teach again that we should not prepare for the wilderness. And I'm sure people, some people would try to twist it to mean that, but that's not what it means at all. It's not talking about that you should not save up for the great tribulation. It's not saying that you should not be oppressed. What this is talking about in the context is that we should not be buying fancy clothing, expensive clothing. I mean, you need what you need, and you need good quality clothes that you can depend on that's not going to tear up in one month. You know, you need you need sufficient clothing, and you need sufficient shoes and good shoes, but we don't need, like, uh, these great old big 
name brands that double the price just because of the brand and all that. And we don't need a car that costs $100,000 when we can get a perfectly good car for 6000 7000 8000 We don't need one that's 20000 We really don't. And we don't need big mansions, big houses in this life. This is the concept. All right, so then in verse... 20, but store up or save up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or mildew or rust destroys or where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There is your heart. Is your heart set upon heavenly things? Or is your heart set upon carnal, fleshly, temporary things? Is your heart set upon this month, or is it set upon eternity? Is it set upon sports, or is it set upon obeying God on the seventh day? Do you choose to go play basketball on the seventh day, or do you choose to go to church the seventh day? and rest the seventh day, and pray, and worship, and read the Bible, and fellowship with true believers, when you waste your time and go play a game that does not benefit you in the future, does not benefit your family or, your, or the kingdom of God, or go watch the football game. The Bible says that we are to abstain from our worldly pleasures on the seventh that says it in a different way, but that's what exactly what it means. And so it says here in verse 22 that the eye is the lamp of the body. Now, so then, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if the eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, but either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve Theo, which is what they actually wrote, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, actually wrote for the word God. You cannot serve Theo, God, and, well, both. So <clears throat> you have to make a decision. You may say, a lot of people say, Joel Osteen says, nothing wrong with having a Ferrari, nothing wrong with having a giant mansion. A lot of people have this mentality, lots of people, even some poor people have that mentality that there's nothing wrong with those things. But you cannot serve both wealth and God. You have to choose. Bible talks about it being very difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And so, why would we want to choose to be rich? 
the best thing a person could do if they was to strike an itch is burn the money. I was going to say give it away, but that would just spoil that next person. The best thing they could do is burn the money. You say, but help the poor. Well, that's what Jesus told them to do, and they refused to do it. It'd be good to help the poor. That's what Jesus told them to do. It'd be good. Excellent. And if you distribute it to the true poor, the real poor, because there's a lot of poor people that I do not put under the category of true poor. Because it's not true poor when they're getting two hundred, three hundred, four hundred dollars a month from food stamps plus their disability check, and yet they're spending two, three, four hundred dollars a month on pot on top of everything else. And so if they can afford a hundred dollars, two hundred, three, four hundred dollars a month on drugs, on pot, that's not true poor. That's just a wasteful person. So if you choose give to the poor, give to the true poor, those that are poor beyond their ability, not because that they're wasteful. But if you give money to a false poor, then it'd be better to burn it. It'd be better to burn your money than to give it to somebody who's going to spend it on pot. Verse 25. For this reason, I say to you, do not be overly anxious about your life. Now, King James Version says, do not worry or think no fault, what does it say? Something like that. Take no fault. Yeah. On some of these verses here in this chapter, King James says, take no fault. Now, that's ridiculous. And I know two homeless people, two, that use these verses in King James Version where it says, take no thought for your life, take no thought for uh, food or clothing or anything, and they use this to say it is God's will that they are homeless and bumming from people on the street. Give me money, give me money, give me this, give me this, give me this. And using, they're just users, constant, 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 using people. And that's what God wants them to do because God tells them in King James Version and does in King James Version tell you don't speak about tomorrow, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear tomorrow. The King James Version is responsible for homelessness. And if I... One person knows two homeless people with this mentality, then I guarantee you there's thousands, perhaps millions, of homeless people that are homeless because they believe that God says, do not think about what you're going to eat tomorrow. And that's foolish. 
That is the devil. It should be translated as, do not be overly anxious about these things. You should take thought. You should plan for tomorrow. Amen. And this month and next month, you should plan. Because not planning for tomorrow is foolishness. It is not the will of God. It is not the Holy Spirit. But do not be over-anxious. Don't be depressed. Don't be worried to death about that food. Esau thought he was going to die if he didn't eat right now. And that's why Jesus is saying, don't be over uh, uh, dramatic about it. Don't be overly anxious and all worked up and have to take pills because you're worried about tomorrow. You know? Don't be overly anxious about your life or what you eat or what you would drink, nor for your body, what you would put on. Is not life more than food and a body more than clothing? There's more things to worry about. And verse 26, look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap. They're not out there in the garden with, with shovels. Nor reap nor garden or gather into barns, and their heavenly father feeds them. Are you not worth more, much more than they? God will provide. Now, you've got to use common sense. You do need to think about tomorrow. People need a work ethic if they're able to work. They need a work ethic, meaning they should respect and honor hard work if a person is able to. They should respect and honor. There's something to be said for a person who works hard and believes in, in working for a living. And, but the guy at the same time has faith on God that it's going to be okay if they obey God. If you serve God, you believe in God, you love God, and you, and you do your part in what God expects us to do in gathering the manna, and, and 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 preparing the supplies for the great tribulation and and doing our part, it's going to be okay. God is going to provide the rest. So don't be overly anxious and worried to death about these things that you're going to starve to death. No, God is not going to let you starve to death if you are His child, if if you are His friend. And so, verse twenty-seven. And who of you, by being worried, can add an hour to his life? No, it takes away hours and days and years from your life. Verse 28, and while you worried about clothing, observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon, King Solomon, David's son, who was extremely filthy rich, but yet he wrote the book of Proverbs, not even Solomon, in all of his glory, clothed himself like one of these, like one of these flyers. These flyers, they don't have any money, but they are clothed more beautiful. Amen. 
some of these flowers are more beautiful than Solomon was in his fancy rich man's clothing. And verse 30, Hephthio, Alpha and Omega, so clothed the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, talking about the lake of fire at the great white throne judgment, 1,100 years, 1,100 years after Jesus comes back. That's the tomorrow is talking about, is thrown into the furnace. Will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. Notice there, little faith is bad. Again, people think that if you have faith like the size of a mustard seed, that's sufficient, and that's what God wants you to have. No, that's not what God wants you to have. God does not want you to have faith the size of a mustard seed. God does not want you to have little faith. He condemns you for having little faith. He wants us to have faith like a mustard seed, as a mustard seed. does not say the size of a mustard seed, but as a mustard seed or like a mustard seed. Now, if your translation does say the size of a mustard seed, then you need to call for that out because it does not say that in the Greek. That's in a different verse, of course, but you can look it up. So, we need to have large faith. We need to have faith like a mustard seed, which starts small but grows like into a big tree, the Bible talks about. It grows big and mighty and strong and well-rooted and well-grounded. That is the kind of faith, big, well-rooted, well-grounded faith that will not topple and will not be uprooted. And if we have great faith, then we believe that God will provide Yes. Amen. Amen. God is going to provide if we do our part, if we are obedient, if we are honorable and respectful to him and his servants, his people, and his kingdom. Now, it says in verse 31, Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? Remember, the context has nothing to do with the great tribulation, but everyday living what it's really talking about. But nevertheless, we can apply this to the great tribulation as well as far as having faith that we still need to do our part. In this life, in this day, work if we can work, prep if we can prep, save if we can save, do what we can do. But at the end of the day, lay down at night knowing that God's going to provide the rest of it. If we bring two fish, three fish, five loaves, he will bless it and turn it into thousands of fish, thousands of loaves. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. But we have to bring some fish. We have to bring some loaves of bread. Then he will bless it and multiply it. Now, verse 32, for the Gentiles, uh, meaning really lost people, it's symbolic language, eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek first, not second, not third, not last, but first. What is your top priority must be his kingdom, your birthright. If you're born again, you have a birthright. The Bible says 
See, you have a right to the tree of life. It says that in Revelation 21 or 22, that, uh, that, that, that the same, that they have a right to the tree of life. If we are born again, we have a birthright to the tree of life, to Jesus, to the kingdom, to paradise, to the treasures in heaven that's going to come out of heaven down upon the earth. Bible talks about. Seek first his kingdom, our birthright, and his righteousness, meaning loving people, feeding the true poor, helping the true poor with our tithes or offerings, and keeping the commandments. That's righteousness. And all these things, the heavenly treasures, the food of tomorrow, the clothing for tomorrow, these things will be added to you. God will provide. Thirty-four. So do not worry, overly worry, overly anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. So this is a lesson on don't be depressed, all all worked up and, and worried that you're going to starve to death, unless. You're disobedient to God. If you're disobedient, then you need to be worried about this thing. Now let's go to the book of 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 6. That's after Thessalonians, 1 Timothy 6. One Timothy six verse seven. One Timothy chapter six verse seven. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. For if we have food and covering clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation. They fall into temptation. Now, you may think, I'd like to have a bunch of money to help people. I've heard that. i heard that. Oh, I don't know how many times I've heard that. But after you get there, after you get rich, you fall into temptation. And a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. All you got to do is look at the people who, who do win millions of dollars on the lottery. One after another, after another, after another, after another, after another. These people that win millions of dollars, their lives fall apart. They get sued. They have car wrecks. They die. They get sick. They have strokes. They have heart attacks. 
They get mowed, they get robbed, they get murdered. Their lives fall into a ruin. Ruin and destruction. Verse 10. For the love of money, not money itself, but the love of money, is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. How does a person wander away from the faith out of a pursuit for money and the love of money? Well, in many ways. And, you know, they compromise with the law of God and, and the will of God and what God wants for their life. Instead of going where God has ordained for them to go, they go the other direction. They don't pay their tithe. They think they need it for other things. They go into college to become a doctor so they can get rich and powerful and famous. They become a rock music star or a movie star. Or they go off to college for this or for that or for this or for that. Or they move somewhere else for this or for that or for this or that. Whatever their human reasoning leads them, instead of God leading them, next thing you know, they're not even keeping the seventh day, any of the commandments, keeping the feast day, because their career or their college or their education or their family or their friends is more important than God. And they're not seeking first the kingdom, but their own will and their own way. And they pierce themselves with many griefs because they have gone their own way instead of God's way. We are to be content with enough food for survival. You don't have to be gutting. You don't have to practice gutting, which means overeating. You don't have to do that. Enough food for survival to be sufficient. Enough clothing for survival rather than beauty. Survival rather than vain beauty. The cheapest pair of pants or the next level up should be sufficient. You don't need the most expensive, especially when it comes to shirts. Men's pants sometimes need to be a level up for quality and long-term endurance. Some articles of clothing like shoes, you don't need the cheapest because they're just going to wear out really, really quick, and then you're going to have to spend more money to get another pair of shoes and another pair of shoes. So you need some things of good quality, but you still don't need Jordash or Nike just because everybody else has it, or everybody else wants it, or that's what everybody else wears. If everybody else is wearing it, I don't want to wear it because it's of the devil. 
Nike is of the devil. Nike is the name of a female goddess, which means demon. So why would you want to have the name of a demon on your shoes or your clothing or your hat or your shirt? So instead of saying that you have to have Nike because everybody else wears it, why not buy a cheaper brand that is still of good quality that does not have a demon's name on it? Now, at one time, there was a time to seek education and careers. But even then, it should not have been for riches, but more of in the line of survival and maintenance. Be able to live and maintain a life. I'm not saying that everybody should struggle for ever crumb of food and that we need to be uh, homeless. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that we need to uh, afflict our souls constantly. Uh, but I am saying that we don't need to be seeking luxuries and, and, and expensive things and fancy stuff. Now, as I said, there was a time to pursue education and careers enough enough to maintain yourself and your family. But now even that is gone as far as long-term education and long-term career. We now need to be in the mentality of survival for today tomorrow, this month, this year, and these next four years. But as far as planning for <laughs> retirement and and and, and, and being well off and being having a, a fame or power or riches for long term of ten, twenty years from now, that's people need to wake up to what time it is in the prophetic clock. People need to understand that the great tribulation truly, truly, truly is so extremely close. But yet, a lot of times when people contact me and I ask them, how far away do you think the beginning of the great tribulation is? They're like 20 years, 30, 40, 50 years. I'm like, what? What's wrong with you? Is what I say in my mind. You know, or I don't know. I still don't know what's wrong with them because how can you not know that the great tribulation is at the door? Are they living in a hole? Are they living in a cave? I mean, you know, turn on the news, turn on the radio, read the newspaper. How can we not know that the great tribulation is at the door? Amen. And so why prepare for 20 years from now, when we ain't got that long. So we need to start setting priorities. And we need to think. Temporary gratification versus eternal satisfaction. Yeah. We are going from the temporary to the eternal. 
We used to be all of us did. Used to be very temporary minded. Mm-hmm. We need to start being more eternal minded, kingdom minded. Yes. This is what this fiesta is supposed to be about. To think about, take time this week to think more, more intently about how to get from being temporary minded to eternal minded, kingdom minded, and how that our bodies, our flesh, our houses, our cars, the money, the jobs, the careers, the sports, the basketball, the football, all these things are temporary. Once the great tribulation starts, everything's going to change. Everything we know about, you know, everything in our lives is going to change dramatically overnight. It's going to be so quick. So many people are going to be overly anxious. So many people are going to be depressed, scared, not knowing which way to go, which way to turn, what to do. They're going to be petrified, scared out of their mind. You think people take Xanax now, wait till then. They don't trust in God. They have not sought God about the future. And they don't know God's plans for them. So we need to think about how we can become even more kingdom-minded and about how temporary this flesh is, what steps we need to take, what changes we need to make. And especially in modern Western society, we are so spoiled with electricity, TVs and DVDs and uh, our cars and all kinds of stuff that we are just spoiled with. Even even fast food and restaurants and stuff. And most people, believe it or not, believe it or not, most people in the United States well, I won't say most people, but a lot of people. A lot of people in the United States, especially the young, the, the millennials, <laughs> you know, they don't even know where that ground beef came from or where that pork chop came from. You know, it's it's in the store. That's where it came from. It's it's just laying there in the store. You know? What are we what are we gonna do and what are they going to do when the electric goes down? When the internet goes down? What am I gonna do without my phone? What am I going to do without my internet? My T V my car without gasoline. Hey, all these things are going to be gone in the Great Tribulation. Life is going to change. And they're going to be like Esau and sell their birthright. Even people that is truly saved to get a bold a suit, they're going to submit to Allah, to Islam, to Assad, they're, not, they're going to submit to that in a snap of a finger. 
get what they need, what they want, right then and there, not thinking about when they face Jesus. I'd rather starve to death than to to sell my birthright. But I'm not going to starve to death. I know that God's going to provide. But I also know that I'm not a baby and God wants me to be a man and do my part. He wants me to be loyal and faithful, but also to do my part. He wants all of us to do our part. And I've told many people over and over and over and over, and I'll say it again and keep saying it, that if you have stuff that you have not touched for six months, five months, maybe four months, maybe three months, stuff that you have not touched, you don't need it unless it's stuff that you're keeping for the great tribulation, for survival. I mean, why would you need something that is packed away that you've not touched for months? It's very clear you don't need it. So why not take that now after the feast and sell it or give it away, lighten your load, sell what you can, the stuff that's in the attic, in the basement, in the closet, the stuff that's under the bed, the stuff that's packed up, the stuff that you don't need, except, except, except of course, if it's tents and, and food and stuff you need for the future, for the great tribulation, then by all means hold on to it. The stuff that you're going to need for shelter and warmth and heat and food and emergency and medicine, hold on to it. you got to think all this through. And, and why not sell the stuff you don't need, regardless of where you're going to be, regardless of whether you're going to stay or flee, it would be good to sell what you don't need and take that and buy what you're going to need. Food dehydrator so that you can uh, dehydrate food for the future. Tents, tarps, rope, string, duct tape, scissors, can openers, fire starters. There's a huge list of things. Bandages. Things that we're going to need. Really need for that day and that time. And again, don't get stressed out if you can't get everything. Get only what you can do. God does not expect us to get everything we're going to need for four years, three and a half years. God does not expect us, does not want us. Even if we had the money, we shouldn't even do it. Get enough for three and a half years of everything we're going to need. Because if we had everything we're going to need for three and a half years, we won't need God. But we do need God. But if you get everything you're going to need for three and a half years, you're going to get every crumb, everything you need for three and a half years, then you're going to subconsciously, not realizing it, you're going to say, i got everything I need. But actually the truth is you got too much because if you got everything you need, then you're not going to see the miracles. If you got everything you need, you're not going to see you're not going to be able to see God give you the manna and the quail and the water from a rock. 
It's a beautiful thing when you're in need and God provides. It's a wonderful thing to see miracles and see the hand of God. It's better for us to not be rich. It's better for us to not have everything that we think we need so that we can see God move. Amen. Let's look at Matthew 10. Matthew 10, starting in verse 34. Matthew 10, verse Matthew 10, verse 34, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword, talking about a spiritual sword, spiritual warfare. Verse 35, for I came to set a man against his death, a daughter against her mom, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be the members of their own household. Amen. Amen. Now, why did Jesus come to bring division in our family? The reason is we're all being tested. And he wants to know who is loyal, who is faithful, who is true, who's going to follow him the whole way. And he created the angels before he created mankind. And when he created the angels, a third of them fell away, reviled against God, rebelled against God, spoke harshly against God, disobedient, broke his laws, broke his ways, and remained evil and lawless to this day. Among mankind, he wants to know who's not going to fall away, even if there's temptation, even if there is a hurricane, a storm, great tribulation, fights and war. No matter what happens, who loves me? Who is going to stay and be faithful? Yeah. We need dramatic testing. Dramatic testing. He wants to know who is going to be worthy to enter the kingdom. 
Because once we enter the kingdom of the eternal spirit, we don't want to do like the devils did, like the angels did, and bring corruption into God's perfect paradise of the future. Because then it wouldn't be paradise for us or or our families or anyone. So we have to be tested. Every one of us. We have to be tested. It's not that God wants to test us or wants to make it hard on us, but rather we must be tested. We have to. Because he doesn't want anybody to sneak into the kingdom with a fake smile, fake love, pretend obedience. Mm -hmm. He wants somebody that has been tested, tried, and and got through, passed the test, so that when paradise comes, new heaven, new earth comes, the only people that's going to be able to enter in is those that he knows. He knows you're going to be loyal and faithful and true and not corrupt paradise. That would be a horrible thing if paradise got corrupted. Hey, we can't take that chance. So, Lord, test me. Lord, test us. Test my family. Test us all. Because we cannot afford paradise to be corrupted and destroyed. People are always complaining, the atheists and the Satanists and the unbelievers and weak Christians and Everybody's always complaining. Why did not God make heaven on earth? Why did he allow all this death and the cancer and the murder and the suffering? But the fact is, God did create paradise on earth. God created paradise on earth. He created heaven on earth and no death and no murder and no destruction. But then mankind said, I'll do it my way. I ain't going to trust God's way. I'm going to do it my way. That's what Adam and Eve said in their heart and in their mind. And it's exactly what you said. And I said, I'll do it my way. Instead of following God's way. There's death and murder and sickness upon this earth because you decided and I decided we'll go our own way. I I need this, I need that, I need the temporary gratification rather than God's commandment. It's our fault, not God's, our fault. And we deserve to be tested because we already failed the test over and over. Already we did when we rebelled against God. We've already failed the test a million times We deserve more testing. And we need the great tribulation. We need the great tribulation. We need the great tribulation like we need tomorrow. We need it. Like the next meal we're going to have, we need it. We need the great tribulation. It's going to be a great treasure. It's going to be a wonderful thing. Even with all the death, even with all the suffering, even with nuclear war, invasion, captivity, and everything that's coming to this world, it's going to be exactly what we need. God knows what he's doing. Amen. Don't question God. He knows what he is doing. He's in control. 
He was in control when he made uh, Esau and Jacob wrestle within the womb. He was in control when Esau sold his birthright. But we better not sell our birthright, though. We have a choice today. Who will you serve? Tomorrow, who will you serve? Don't sell your birthright to the devil. Now, Jesus came to bring war and division in your family and my family and our family so that we would be tested and where he would know who will follow him. Choose you this day who you will serve, even if it means losing your wife, your husband, your child, your grandparents, your best friend, your house, your money, your car, your career, your sports. What are you willing to lay down and give up? What are you willing to sell for a bowl of food when they're passing out the mark of the beast, saying, you must reject Jesus' name? Hey, people's already failed that test. People's already failed that test. You've got to reject Jesus' name and start following the Y name. You've got to say Yahshua. People's already rejected the name of God. People's already rejected Jesus' name. They've already sold their birthright, and they already sold their soul to the devil when they got baptized in the Y name. They sold their soul to the devil. But there is a way out. Amen. There is a deliverance. There is a deliverer. Amen. His name is Jesus. Yes. And there's only one name under heaven. Woo by which man may be saved. That is a glorious, 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 glorious and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise Jesus. In verse 37, he who loves dad or mom or anybody more than me, says Jesus, is not worthy. We need to be worthy. We need to be worthy. We've got to be found worthy. The Bible says, pray that you will be found worthy. So that he that loves husband, wife, girlfriend, you can put anybody in here. More than God. If you put a person first before God, then you're not worthy of paradise. So stop complaining about why God didn't put heaven on earth. You're not worthy of heaven on earth if you love basketball more than the substance. Not worthy. And he who loves son or daughter, your own children, more than me. Is this fair? Absolutely. God created us. Every breath you breathe, every heartbeat, every footstep, you would be here but what for God. It's fair. People say always, all they always say God's not fair. This, this ain't fair. He's commanding worship. Hey, it's fair because we wouldn't be here. You wouldn't have a tongue to speak against God if God didn't give you that tongue. You owe your entire existence to God. Amen. Amen. He is worthy of worship. He is worthy of coming first in our life. Verse 38, 
And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. What's that mean? It means that when you get saved, it's going to be a heavy load on your back by carrying a cross. It's going to be a heavy load on your back because if you don't forsake your family first, they're going to forsake you. Whoever does it first is going to happen sooner or later if you're a true follower of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now, if you go to Baptist church, they're not going to forsake you. <laughs> you go to Catholic church, they ain't going to forsake you. If you go to Lutheran, they're not going to forsake you. But if you are a true follower of Jesus, either you're going to have to forsake them or they're going to have to forsake you because light and darkness does not get along. Right. The devil's ways, Christmas, Easter, mm-hmm. all that, Sunday church, all that, preacher rapture, all that, is totally at war against God's way. Yeah. The seventh day and the fiesta of tabernacles and Passover and foot washing on Passover and all these things. The two different ways of Babylon and Jesus, they're opposites. And light and darkness, they has no fellowship, has light with darkness. None. So it's built into creation that light and darkness would be at war against each other. And you have to take up your cross, meaning you're going to have to take up a heavy load. It's not going to be an easy path. It's not going to be an easy road, but it's worth every mile. It's worth every mile to hear the voice of God, to hear the voice of the one that said that in his heart, his mind, God said, I'm going to make Brittany. I won't. Brittany, be born into the world. I have a plan for her. Plan of peace to prosper her. Not to hurt her, not to harm her, but to bless her, to to give her peace. But not the world peace, no. But my people, I will give them peace. He is the prince of peace. He is the prince of peace. I've tried the drugs. I've tried the drunkenness, being trying to get drunker and drunker and drunker day after day, and all those headaches, hangovers, and throwing up. I've tried that. I've tried the crack, the mess, the cocaine, the pot. Thank you, Lord, for delivering. Thank you, Lord. Sexual fornication. Thank you, Lord. I've tried all those things and did not find anything satisfying. I may have found few seconds, few minutes of temporary gratification. Temporary. Temporary gratification. Very, very temporary gratification. Thank you, Jesus. Next day, feel awful, wore down, sick, miserable, no money, no happiness, no joy, and no eternal satisfaction. There's only one way. Only one way. Jesus is the way and the life. Amen. Amen. There's no, there's no other peace other than truly and truly knowing Jesus. Yes. And if you're not willing to take up the cross to say, yeah, I know Jesus. He died for my sins, and I would do what it takes to live for him. I keep the fiestas. That ain't that hard. I keep the seventh day. That ain't that hard. 
Amen. I'll pay the dime on the dollar. That ain't that hard. Just got to choose. Just got to make up your mind. Just got to surrender. That's the hard part. It's surrendering and say, Lord, it's going to be your way. Not mine, not what I think, not my human reasoning. It's yours, Lord. Take up your cross and follow him. You won't regret a mile of it. Verse 39. He who has found his life will lose it. Have you found the career you was looking for? You found the job. You found the money. You found the house. You found the wife with the pink toenails and the long blonde hair, big booze and all that. You found all that you were looking for. But you did not find eternal satisfaction. Hey, I'm just being honest, laying on the line the way a man thinks. But you did not find eternal satisfaction. Amen. Amen. But he who has lost his life, lost your family, lost your job if if that's that's what it takes, lose your car if that's what it takes, he who has lost his life, you lost your old life. You lost your birthday. You lost Christmas. You lost Easter. You lost Valentine's Day. You may have lost a husband or wife because they didn't want to have nothing to do with you no more. A friend. Because they didn't want to have nothing to do with you no more. But he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. He will find eternal life, salvation, paradise, heaven. In the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. Let's go to chapter 19. Think about these things during the feast here over these next few days. Temporary gratification. Temporary fragile body, fragile house, fragile job, fragile life, fragile friends, fragile family but eternal life and paradise. Hey, it's worth it. Matthew 19, mm-hmm. verse 29. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or even father or even mom or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. Now, remember Job, how he was tested and tried. Mm-hmm. He lost his wife, his children. He was even covered in sores, had lots of pain. But he got more wives, more children, more animals, more farm, more land, more riches. Now, we may not get all that in this generation, but we can get eternal life. We can get perhaps some protection for some of us. Protection is not guaranteed for everybody. Even if you're a true saint, protection and and finishing living out this life, this fragile temporary life, that's not guaranteed because this is a temporary fragile tent and God does not promise you to make your flesh, your bones, your body 
permanence. He does not promise to make your body permanent because in Adam all die. And all must die once. It's promised to mankind to all die once. So he's not going to promise every every true follower protection. Even he had to die. Even all of his followers yeah. all died. It was all martyred, beheaded, crucified upside down, burned alive, yeah. all that. So not everybody's promised protection. But there's another life. Yeah. There is another life. There is going to come a paradise. And when it comes paradise, he's going to reward us. Now, in one of the future sermons, we're going to talk a little bit about what it's going to be like mm-hmm. in a thousand years. Mm-hmm. We're going to get into that a little bit, what it's going to be like in a hundred years. But God is going to reward us if we walk away from houses, lands and farms and money and people and family. God, sooner or later, it's going to come back to us. Whether it's in a thousand years or a hundred years or in paradise, it's going to come back to us just as it did come back to Job. We may not win the lottery in this life, but we're going to be rewarded, blessed in either that thousand years or that hundred years, and definitely in paradise. We will be blessed if we're willing to give up the carnal, temporary soups of today. Yes. If we're willing to give up Campbell's Soup, because Campbell's Soup is one of those companies we boycott. So if we're willing to give up things in this life, we'll get a better soup tomorrow. Amen. Amen. Let's go to Acts 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Acts 4, verse 32. Now, here comes a hard part for a lot of people. Acts 4, four, verse 32. Now, the context of this is Jesus had already died. He had already gone back to heaven. And there was a great persecution had come to the church because of people out there saying that Jesus had come back to life, that he had come back to life, that he had walked on the earth for 40 days, he had went back to heaven right in front of their eyes. And, and people were going out speaking this. And that you had to get saved through Jesus. And that you even had to uh, be baptized in Jesus' name and and so forth. And there was persecution coming from the Roman Empire, the Roman soldiers and Syrian soldiers. Mm -hmm. 
and and not just government and soldiers and military, but even normal people, you know, the Greek people and not just Greek but and Jews that just just would not believe that this man had died to come back to life and you had to get saved in this man's name because they weren't accepting that he was God. They wasn't accepting that he was God. So here you come, Christians come saying, this man died, rose again, went back to heaven, and he's God, and you've got to get saved through him. So there's persecution. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people had to hide and a lot of people had to have church in their homes. Mm-hmm. And that's the only reason that Christians started having churches in their homes. It had nothing to do with that the building was evil or God didn't want you to go to church or anything like that. It was only because there was persecution. They were arresting people. And that's the only reason they started having churches within their living rooms and homes. And... But some of them was also continuing to go to, go to the church, go to the synagogue uh, as well. They, they kept doing that all throughout Acts. They kept going to the synagogue as well. And Paul never condemned them for going to the synagogue. Paul never condemned the Christians for going to the synagogue. Verse 32, And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were given testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the first proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet. And they would be distributed by the apostles to each of the individual people as any that had need. Now, Joseph was a Levite, the tribe of Levi, of uh, Sapparian birth, and was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it, and, and brought the money, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, remember the context is a time of people being arrested, persecution, hatred, division, even within families. But the church came together. The true believers helped one another, supported one another, was there one another. They were breaking bread daily, which has nothing to do with taking communion, but eating together and sharing everything that they had because it was a time of tribulation for them. And they knew that to survive, they needed to help with one another, and they needed to, to give up their own property and to trust the apostles. And they knew they knew the apostles. They knew they were respectable men. They knew they were men of God. They knew they were not false prophets. They knew what they were doing. They were not making mistakes. Mm-hmm. But, of course, today, but even then, there was false prophets. There was false community. There are false communities today. There will be false communities. 
And you've got to know who you're supporting. Yes. You've got to know. You've got to check them out. You've got to pray. You've got to fast. You've got to examine. You've got to study the Bible. And you've got to double examine. Are you truly following a, a, a true minister of God, a true man of God? You've got to ask those questions. Uh, that's only wisdom. You've got to ask those questions. You don't want to be led astray. And there were people that were leading people astray. But the true followers of Jesus, God led them to the right place, the right people, the right time, to love one another, help one another, support one another. And and even though some people gave up their stuff, it was distributed rightly, not out of gain. It was it didn't want going into the apostles' pocket, not to build mansions and airplanes and fancy cars like Joel Olstein, people send him money left and right, millions of dollars, he sells all of his books and everything. And his, his website is nothing more than a store, and that's it. If anybody's never been to the Joel Olstein website, I encourage you to go check it out just for the point of seeing that it is nothing but a store. It looks like Walmart. It's nothing but a store. And so it's crazy. But what I have to say is when the great tribulation of the future comes to us, this is what we're going to need to do. What we're going to need to stop being selfish, stop saying, this is mine, this is mine, this is mine, that's mine, and we're going to have to come together if we want to survive. And we're going to have to share and share alike if we're going to survive. And we also got to start saying, well, I'm just going to settle down on my parents' land and struggle it out with a shotgun all by myself. You ain't going to survive. You're going to need to be in a community. You're going to need to have help, have support, have a lookout, have somebody, different people taking turns, different watches of the night, like they did in the Bible. You look out, a watch, you're going to need, you're going to need spies. You're going to need hunters. You're going to need people for different different jobs, duties, and tasks. And you're going to need a family of God's people. You're going to need encouragement. You're going to need fellowship. Going it alone is not the route to go for most of us. Now, of course, God has a different plan for different people, and I'm sure there's people out there that God does want some people to go alone, but for the most part, I firmly believe that we're going to have to return back to these days. Now, chapter 5, verse 1, there was a man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and kept back some of the price for himself, not trusting God, not trusting the apostles, and having selfishness. And with his wife's full knowledge and knowing this, and bringing a portion of it, only a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back some of the price of the land? Peter knew. And it wasn't really so much 
that he kept some of it, but it was more that he lied about it. He made it look like, sound like, feel like that he was given all of it and was secretly given some, keeping some. It wasn't necessarily that wrong to keep some from stuff, but it was that he lied about it. And but Peter knew. And verse 4, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have perceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to mankind, but to theos. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last breath, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. And the young men got up and covered him up, and after carrying him out, they buried him. Now, there elapsed an in- internal of about three hours, interval of three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, tell me whether you sold the land for such and such price. And she said, yes, for that price. Peter said to her, why is it that you have agreed together to put the spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell at his feet, fell down, and breathed her last breath. And a young man came in and found her dead, and they carried her out, buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and over all who heard of these things. God is real. Amen. Yes, he is. Amen. So we don't need to be lying about things, about uh, what we're doing for the Lord. And if we're doing something for the Lord, keep it honest and don't uh, exaggerate. Don't exaggerate uh, our fasting, our tithe. Don't exaggerate. It's better to say nothing than to exaggerate what we're doing for the Lord. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5. And I'm sure that their thinking and their decisions, this husband and wife that died, was, you know, we've got to have for ourselves, and how do we know that God will provide for us? How do we know that the apostles would take care of us if I give it all away, you know? So, But they weren't really doubting the apostles. They were doubting God, God's government, God's kingdom. And in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1, for we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from Theo. This is talking about your body. It calls our body an earthly tent. It is a house that our spirit dwells in. If our house is torn down, we have a building from Theo's, meaning that he would give us a new spiritual body that we would dwell in. We won't need the flesh anymore, but, but we're going to be taken care of by God a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And a lot of people use that verse to say that proves we're going to be in heaven forever or that our mansions are in heaven. But they don't read the other verses 
that talk about that new Jerusalem that has been prepared for us will be coming down out of heaven. And so it may be in heaven right now, but it's going to come down out of heaven, and we're not going to be in heaven forever. And verse 2, for indeed this house, our spiritual body, be grown, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. So what we want, what we need to groan for, the people are not groaning for this. And how much do we want to return to spirit? How much do we think about it? How much do we groan? How much do we want? How much do we desire? Do we desire it as much as stew, as food? Do we have an appetite for the kingdom? Do we have an appetite for our future spiritual body? Verse 3, inasmuch as we haven't put it on, will not be found naked. Talking about spiritually speaking, that, that we're not going to be found sinful. Verse 4, for indeed, while we are in this tent, this body, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed from, unclothed, but to be clothed, this is all symbolic language, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now, he who has prepared us for this very purpose is Theos, the Alpha and Omega, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Again, people use this to say that as soon as you die, that you go to heaven. But they forget the verse that says that God is in the grave and that you cannot hide from God, that wherever we go, God is there. People forget that God is not six foot tall, but rather he is on Jupiter, Pluto, Mars, the moon, China, Russia. He is throughout the earth, and the earth is his footstool, and he dwells throughout the entire universe. He is not six foot tall, but he fills the entire universe. God is huge. And we have to think about that more and better. And so to be dead to lay down this tent, our spirit goes back to God, but that doesn't mean our spirit goes up to heaven because God is right here where we're at right now. It goes back to God, your spirit just goes into the air. It does not go into heaven until we go there for the marriage supper. Now, if you're going to be already in heaven, how come you're going to be risen to go to heaven for the marriage supper? That don't make any sense at all. Look at Revelation 19, not right now, but Revelation 19 is very clear that we are going to go to heaven for the marriage supper. So why would God raise the saints from the dead in 1 Thessalonians 4 in order for you to go to heaven if you're already in heaven? This does not say you go to heaven as soon as you die, does not say it. But your spirit does go back to God. Now, when we are at home in this body, 
we are absent from the Lord, meaning that this body is like a jail cell to us. This body is like a prison to us. And this body kind of separates us from the presence of God in a lot of ways. But once we tear down this tent, then we'll be free. Once we break out of this jail, once we break out of this bondage of the flesh, then we will be more in unity in the spirit of God. But we will not see nothing. We will not hear nothing. We will not know anything because Ecclesiastes 9, Ecclesiastes 9 tells us that the dead do not know anything. Neither has a reward. The book of Hebrews says they have not even received the promises yet. So then verse 7 here says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Verse 8, we are of good courage, I say, and rather, prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be present in our kingdom with the Lord. But that doesn't mean that you're going to see or hear or know anything once you die. But sooner or later, hopefully, you'll make it to paradise or into the thousand years, or into the hundred years, and see the one that saved us. Mm-hmm. See his face like that song that we sung. And then we'll be present with the Lord in that sense. So none of this proves that we go to heaven when we die. But we have to die or lose this tent in order to eventually see Jesus. And if we are groaning, which we need to start doing, if we are groaning to see the Lord, then we must be willing to lose our life. Willing to, if called upon. Now, if God wants to protect you, that's a wonderful thing. But if you are called upon to lose your life, be tortured, be beheaded, or martyred in any other way, For God, we must be willing to or leave our homes, our houses, our jobs. If God so calls us to leave our husband, our wife, our children, if God so calls us to do whatever, then we must be willing to obey him and put him first, his will, his direction for our life. Verse 9, therefore, we also have our ambition rather at home or absent, to be pleasing to him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, we're not all going to be at the white throne judgment. We're not all going to be at the great white throne judgment because some people will be, be turned to spirit in the first resurrection. But we all are going to sooner or later be judged by God, whether it's the first resurrection or the great white throne judgment and we all get judged by God, and we're all going to face the consequences and be rewarded for the good and the bad. So in that sense, face the judgment seat of Christ so that each one will be repaid or recompensated for his deeds in the body, whether for what he has done, whether good or bad. We're not going to get away with anything. And if you do wrong, you're going to be repaid in this life. It's going to come back to you, and both for good and for bad. Temporary versus eternal. 
we have to think about the judgment seat of of Christ. We have to think about putting on the spirit, getting rid of the flesh. Let's move quickly now over here to uh, Romans 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, verse 5. Romans 8, verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, on the sports, the money, the houses, the careers, the jobs, the families, the friends, the girlfriends, all that. But those who are according to the Spirit we set our minds on the things of the spirit, the kingdom, paradise, reward, obedience, love, faith, the faithfulness, goodness toward God, respect toward God, the things of the spirit. These are the things we put our minds on. So instead of being over-worried or depressed or out of our minds about carnal things, we need to be thinking about the goodness of God. Yes. Philippians 4 Tells us to put our minds on the good things, the good, the things of good report, the praiseworthy things. Hey, we've got to, you know, we don't want to bury our head in the sand. We've got to realize about the evil in the world. We've got to keep up with world events, be watchful so that we can see the signs of the times, recognize what time we're in, get ready, prepare, be ready. But then we also got to lay down at night knowing and understanding and fully believing in the protection of God that we're going to be okay. We can sleep tight because God is in control. Mm-hmm. Everything will still be there tomorrow and we take care of tomorrow. When we get to tomorrow, it's going to be okay. There's no use laying down at night with worry in your heart because sufficient are the things of tomorrow. And God is in control, and everybody makes their own decisions, their choices, and faces those consequences. And if we make the right choice, then we can believe and trust in God's faithfulness. We set our minds on the things of good reports, the praiseworthy things, lay down, rest at night. And uh, I, I talk some term a lot that it's not because of worry at all, it's only because of my. My time clock in my body is out of order and a lot to think about, but not to worry, not to worry about. And in verse 6, for the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset in the spirit is life and peace. Yeah, we can have peace through the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. He didn't come bring peace to the world, but he does give peace to those that follow him. Even in the midst of tribulation and strife and war, he gives us peace. Verse 7, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards those. 
for it does not subject itself to the law of theos. We've got our minds in the flesh if we don't trust God. But for it does not subject itself to the law of theos, for it is not even able to do so if we're thinking about uh, where the man are going to come from tomorrow. Verse 8, and those who are in the flesh cannot please Theos, meaning if we're walking in the flesh, if we're walking upon our own choices, our own decisions, our own way, then we cannot please Theos. Verse 9, however, you are not in the flesh but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of Theos dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So you can say you're a Christian all you want to. If you don't have your spirit, his spirit, you're not a Christian. Mm-hmm. You can believe in Jesus. You can keep Christmas and Easter, go to church on Sunday, pay all your tithes. Or you can even keep the seventh day, the fiesta, keep all the commandments, be baptized, and still not have the spirit. You can. you got to have the spirit. That's what saves you. The Spirit of God saves you. The blood of Jesus saves you at baptism, sometimes before baptism, sometimes after baptism. But you've got to get the Spirit. You've got to get the Holy Ghost. You've got to get the Holy Ghost. And unless you have the Holy Ghost, you're not saved, regardless of what you do. Verse 10, if Christ is in you, Though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Verse 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So he promises you a resurrection from the dead and eternal life. If you have his spirit, he promises you paradise. If you have the Holy Ghost of Jesus, then you have a reservation in paradise. You have a reservation in paradise if you have the Holy Ghost. Now, you can give up that reservation by selling your birthright. You sell your reservation in paradise and you sell your birthright. So you have to remain loyal and endure into the end. Matthew 24 talks about enduring until the end, which has nothing to do with survival, but has everything with never selling your birthright. Always remaining loyal to God. Let's read one last chapter, and that's Zechariah 14, because that is where that talks about us keeping this fiesta in a thousand years. Zechariah 14. Near the uh, near the end of the Old Testament. Zechariah 14. Black and white, page 484. Zechariah 14, 
verse 16. How can we keep the fiesta of Tabernacles without reading this verse? Zechariah 14, verse 16. And it shall come to pass, talking about the thousand years, that whosoever that should be left who survived of all the nations that came against Jerusalem during World War II should come up every year to worship the King, Jesus Almighty, and to keep the fiesta of tabernacles. All nations, that's Jews, Gentile, Greek, Roman, Syrian, Muslim, no, well, yeah, even Muslims, every person, regardless of religion, faith, color, uh, language, anything, no exception, anybody alive will have to keep this fiesta as soon as Jesus returns. Verse 17, and it shall come to pass that whosoever of all the tribes or families of the earth that shall not come up to Jerusalem, and they say no, and they rout, they contend uh, against God. Come up to Jerusalem, if they come not to Jerusalem to worship the King, Jesus Almighty, even these people, that they should be added to the others, added to the dead, I think is what it means. And if the family of Egypt shall not go up, nor come, then upon them, shall be the overthrow with which Jesus shall smite all the nations, which ever of them that shall not come up to keep the fiesta of tabernacles. Verse 19, this shall be the sin of Egypt. There will be sin in the millennium. With Jesus here on earth, there will still be sin. And the sin of all the nations of whosoever shall not come up to keep the fiesta of tabernacles. Why will there still be sin? Because there will still be temporary gratification, people that's not looking to judgment day of the white throne judgment and the lake of fire. They still think that their way is better. They still think that they cannot afford to go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, that's too far. They still think that God's way is not there that they've got to choose for themselves the knowledge of what's best for themselves, the knowledge of good and evil. They still choose in the same decision, Adam and Eve, and that's why we don't have paradise on earth, is why we don't have heaven on earth, because people is like, I would choose for myself, my way, what I think that I should do, and not obey the commandments of the Lord. That will always be mankind's mentality until... We get to the lake of fire and those people be destroyed, put out of their misery by taking a dog to the vet. Put those wicked people out of their misery. The Bible says no dogs will enter in to the kingdom. And that's talking about not animals, but lost people. And it calls them dogs because it's just like taking them to the vet to put them out of their misery. They're in misery. They, they don't have peace. 
They don't have joy. They only have temporary gratification, and they do not have eternal satisfaction. They do not have the Holy Ghost. They are not saved, regardless of what they call themselves, regardless of what they think they know. So we're here this week to thank how fragile this body is, that God can knock it down, and that we all face death once, Unless we are alive when he comes back, and even me and our bodies will still die, because our bodies ain't going up there. And but we're seeking a, a, a heavenly city that is being prepared in the heaven for us. That should come down out of heaven one day, and we're going to have a home that no man can knock down, that no man can break into that liars and thieves will not be able to break into, they will not be able to cheat their way into it with a fake smile or fake religion or fake doctrines or poor translations. They're not going to be able to sneak their way into paradise because we will be trialed and tested to see who is worthy. Let's pray that we be found worthy. And let's pray that we be a blessing to Jesus. Not make Jesus angry or upset or sad or frustrated. But let's be pleasing to Jesus, acceptable to Jesus, and live a life, uh, a living sacrifice. Lay down our lives. Be a living sacrifice, willing to give up whatever it may be that he would want us to give up. Make the right decisions. Choose you this day who you will serve. Don't serve the devil. Choose Jesus. Choose God. Choose eternal life. Anybody that goes into the lake of fire, it'll be their own choice. It will be their own choice. Choose life or death, the Bible says. It will be their own choice. So don't blame God for the death of the wicked. They they have everybody. The Bible says he's not willing for any man to die. He's not willing for anybody to die. God wants everybody to get saved. Mm-hmm. But everybody has to choose themselves, life or death. From temporary to eternal. Please meet us back here day after tomorrow for the weekly seventh day sermon on October the 7th at the normal time and I hope everybody enjoy uh, these eight days and we'll also have uh, uh, last great day service October the 12th on a Thursday as well so I uh, hope everybody We'll get rest and and uh, enjoy yourselves today. And tomorrow, we're, tomorrow we're going to baptize uh, Sister Harris. They're sitting here with us beside of us. Uh, we're not going to uh, air that or broadcast that, but we're going to go down to the lake and baptize her tomorrow, God willing. And um, we're praying for good weather for everyone mm-hmm. and safety and. Protection and 
And we thank you for joining us today in spirit. We know that you're here with us in spirit. All this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.